If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. My everything shower is where I indulge, exfoliate, and take care of my everywhere hair. Yep, that means the bikini zone. Enter the Chic Hydrosilk Trim Style, a unique two-in-one waterproof bikini hair trimmer and hydrating razor that's perfect for, well, everywhere. You'll get expert-level, irritation-free results like you've never felt before. Elevate your shave everywhere with Chic Hydrosilk. The expert care we all deserve. Chic Hydrosilk Trim Style, two-in-one at Walmart, Target, Amazon, or visit Chic.com. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into real-life adventure. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Platt's exclusive Google built-in is your always updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by a transmitter positioned on the dark side of the moon. Instead, it's supported by the generous contributions of people like you, our listeners, on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash thinking sideways to learn more. Thinking Sideways. I don't understand. Does not compute. You never know. Insufficient data to formulate What? Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey guys, welcome again to Thinking Sideways. I am, of course, Steve, joined, as always, by... Joe. And Devin. And this week we have yet another mystery. This week we're going to talk about uh, what I would call a conspiracy theory, and that is the Lost Cosmonauts. Mm -hmm. Uh, This, of course, was a suggestion from... It was on Facebook by uh, Tom. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Tom. Tom. Yeah, Tom sent that in almost a year ago. We've had other people. Yeah. Yeah, I think Tom was the first one that got recorded. Yeah, Yeah, so yeah, if you're not Tom, we apologize. Oh, yeah, I'll add you to the list and then forget something. (laughs) Yeah, oopsie. But I know that we got a bunch of them on this one. So... The Lost Cosmonauts, also referred to as the Phantom Cosmonauts, is, as I said, I call it a conspiracy theory. I find it really interesting because there's so many claims and then the counterclaims, and it just turns into kind of a crazy big ball. I get why people are into it and can be a little weirded out by it because, you know, put yourself in somebody's situation in space that isn't going to make it home. That's uh-huh. a creepy thought. And uh, yeah, actually, and there actually are documented, in, you know, incidents of people not making it home. So yes, yeah. 
but they are probably not the ones who we're going to talk about. No. <laughs> so to start with, I need to preface what we're going to go through because this story deals with information that comes out of the Soviet Union in the 50s and the 60s. We don't know how much of it is actually going to be true because they weren't very forthcoming. No, they, they, they censored a lot of information. Still aren't very forthcoming. Yeah. And yeah. with the, the fall of the, the Soviet Union, we, you know, people found and shared records. So we have information on a bunch of things. Oh, yeah. A lot of stuff's been cleared up. But there are some things that we still don't know. Yeah. So I don't know if the people we're going to talk about, A, really existed or not, and B, if they really did die in a space program... And and see if they died on the ground or in the air. Just don't know. No, but no. we're going to talk about them nonetheless. I think, I well, think that never were, stops us. I think there mm. were a few people in the Soviet space program who died on the ground. But oh, we, we had astronauts who died on the ground, too, though. So it's not unusual when you're playing with big, scary, dangerous toys like rockets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Science science is not always uh, bunnies and rabbits. You're not. Bunnies and rabbits? No. It's uh, what is the thing I'm... Fairies and... Godmothers? I don't know. I literally no idea what you're trying yeah, to say right now. Yeah. All squishy and nice and fuzzy and safe. That's yeah. what I'm going for. Sugar yeah, and spice sure. and everything nice? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. See, this is why we have her. Uh -huh. She's the smart one. Because yeah. I know what girls are made of? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> you're right. That's why you have me around. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, we, let's go through the story here. We've got a huge laundry list of supposed incidents that happened in the Soviet Union. So we've got a huge laundry list of people to get into. Mm -hmm. So we should probably start with the stories of all these different people. We're going to do this in sort of chronological order, because that's the way I like to do it, because I'm easily confused. <laughs> First off, between the years 1957 and 1959, three cosmonauts are said to have been killed in individual attempts to reach space. So one each year, one in 57, one in 58, one in 59. And we don't know if that really happened or not because of the source, but according to the lore, these three people died in the Soviet space program trying to get to space. Mm. Yeah. The names of these people are... And I apologize, my Russian is not good. I'm going to do my very best with these. I've sounded them out a dozen times, hooked on phonics, worked for me, so we're going to go for it. <laughs> we have Alexei Litovoskik, Sergei Shaborin, and Andrei Mitkov. I'd say that's pretty good. Those are yeah. the three men. There is a report of potentially a fourth person that died in those years, and that is a woman by the name of Maria Gromov. But, again, we have one source for this, and that is a, quote-unquote, high-ranking Czech communist who isn't identified. Mm -hmm. So That sounds real reliable. Mm -hmm. Those are our yeah. first ones. Next up, we have three people in 1959. So this is a separate from the ones that I just talked about. In the year 1959, three different people killed in a botched attempt to get into space. Their names are... Peter Dolgov, Ivan Kutcher, and Alexei Grichov. And then we're going to move forward. There's the whole laundry list. I told you guys. There's a bunch of names here. Write them down. There's going to be a quiz later. Um, yeah, first I've you already have to figure out how to spell them. them. <laughs> yeah, spell them. <laughs> spell them correctly. There's extra points. Yeah. No Googling, though. No. Uh, we, mm -hmm. uh, we have our good friend Robert Heinlein. 
Yes, the yeah. author, Robert Heinlein, yeah. who says that on the 15th of May, 1960, while he was traveling through the Soviet Republic... He was, I uh, believe, in Lithuania. I think, I, I think you're right, I think yeah. Was, yeah. He, uh, he said that he was told by soldiers that they Soviets had put a man into space that day. Officials, of course, immediately denied this as soon as he went up to somebody who actually was of rank and file. Right. Oh, no, 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 that didn't happen. Don't know what they're talking mm. about. Mm. But he wrote about it, and he shared that story, so we have it out there. Yeah. If what I just went through, these seven people plus Heinlein, if that was all that there was to this story... It would have died on the vine years ago. There's not enough here to give it legs. Yeah, there's some people who, there's some people who who uh, did give it legs. So. Oh yeah, and they're the brothers um, that we're about to talk about. Yeah. Uh, the we've got a pair of Italian brothers by the name of Giovanni Battista and Arshil Judica Cordelia. Hopefully, I pronounced their names right, but that's okay. These guys were uh, in the late 1950s, and then in, through the 60s, they're what I would say were kind of your typical space nerds at the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. amateur radio nerds, more like. Yeah. I mean, they, they, got into that, they started out just being into radio, because mm-hmm. I think their mother scored a bunch of surplus military radio gear. Well, And, and they cobbled everything that they yeah. ever had together. I mean, they had a real ramshackle setup, kind of made their antennas out of whatever they could. And they started listening to everything that was broadcast between the Soviets and the Americans in the, the space race. Yeah, they, uh, the Soviets actually published, they publicized uh, what frequency they were going to be communicating on. And they it did. Turns, but what's interesting about... Not all of their frequency, but some of it. Yeah, they did. I mean, the Americans did, too. Uh, although what's, what's interesting is their choice of frequencies is uh, they're actually kind of crowded, a crowded band of the radio, the radio dial. So why they chose that, I don't know. I, anyway, that I can't a, answer. I didn't research that part. Yeah. So the brothers, they've made, they've made quite a few claims of things that they picked up over the airwaves. And, and I believe uh, yeah, it wasn't just them. I think they had people, they had friends. And, and, well, they had people and, helping And people them. showing yeah. up. And, uh, and so what, it wasn't what, just them. What was the name of their, their base that they called it? I can't oh, remember. Well, they, they had a base of operations, and yeah. people would come and go and was, hang out yeah. and gather during known launches, and they would listen, and they would record. Well, there's some very notable ones that they recorded, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this bullet point style, so I know Devin will like this. Oh, yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. May 1960, a manned spacecraft reports it's going off course. November 28, 1960, a faint SOS Morse code signal is sent from a spacecraft leaving Earth's orbit. And these guys say they confirmed that because they could t- they did the calculations to figure out that it was leaving our orbit and drifting away. Yeah, well, apparently what it, what it is is that the way they calculated the the, the velocity of these objects. That were yeah, the velocity overhead, and altitude is yeah they they would use the Doppler effect. Mm-hmm. So since those these things in low low Earth orbit are traveling pretty fast, they they whip by fast overhead. So you get the radio signal gets compressed when it's headed towards you, and mm-hmm. as soon as it passes directly over you, then it starts stretching out again. But they were they were self taught. I mean, it's, yeah. they they figured this out. Yeah, they did. They were clever. so there. I I would say that maybe their calculations weren't exactly. Perfect. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they so they claim that since this SOS signal was getting weaker, yeah, and since but since there was no Doppler effect, that's why they that's why they believe it was not zipping by across the, across the skies overhead. True. Yeah. Yeah. So that's absolutely I, right. 
February 1961, uh, a cosmonaut is, uh, this is audio, is recorded suffocating to death. And this is not something that we do often, but the audio is available on the internet and we're going to use a little bit of it. So first, what we're going to hear is we're going to hear the breathing of this supposed cosmonaut. And now what we're going to listen to is the supposed heartbeat slowing down of said cosmonaut. April 1961, a capsule is recorded orbiting the Earth three times before re-entering the atmosphere. And you'll, if you are a, a fan of space history, you're going to note that's April 1961. This is several days before Yuri Gagarin's historic flight to be the first human in space. Yeah, this was like, what, April 12th or yes, April 19th? 12th. It was 12th. 12th. Yeah. It was the 12th. So this, the official date on this, I believe they say is the, well, I've seen it different places. I've seen it 7th. I've seen it the 9th. What's, yeah, the, I thought it was like five days. So I think the 7th would be Yeah, right. but it, it, it varies from place to place as yeah. a lot of this information does. Oh, yeah. May 1961, an orbiting spacecraft makes an appeal for help before going out of control and this is this spacecraft is supposedly piloted by a woman and this audio is very is several minutes long but we're only going to play about 15 20 seconds of it October of 1961, a cosmonaut loses control of their spacecraft and it veers off into deep space. Whoopsie. November 1962, uh, a space capsule misjudges its re-entry and bounces off the Earth's atmosphere and out into space. God, can you do that? Is you that can, an actual thing? You can bounce off According the atmosphere. According to TV. Yeah, it's like skipping a stone off, off the surface of the water. You can actually, if you come at it too shallow of an angle, you can bounce off the atmosphere. But, but you got to be high up. Great. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and More of course, things to fear. Yeah, Got it. Yeah, yeah. But, so you can bounce off. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible, but now I'm scared of other things. November of 1963, if another female cosmonaut dies during re-entry. And 1964, April of that year, yet another cosmonaut is killed when their capsule burns up in the atmosphere upon re-entry. Hmm. So that's a bunch of things that they are claiming that they have made recordings of. And we'll we'll go into some of this in a little more depth later on, but I just want to keep moving forward with the story as the lost cosmonaut or phantom cosmonaut story goes. So we're going to move to another guy that you might have heard about if you've ever done any reading on this. And this is a gentleman by the name of Vladimir Illusion. No, um, I, I know, I, I gave you a bunch of information and now I'm drawing this away. I know people hate it when I do that, but yeah, it's really important. And, and this guy actually plays into that April 1961 date that we were just talking about, that five days before Gagarin. Because mm -hmm. okay. everybody thinks it was him. Because everybody thinks it was him. And, and let's talk about Vladimir because 
because he was, he was a test pilot in the military and he had broken at least one, but I think several altitude records. And according to the lore, he loved that, the glory that it gave him. But he realized that these guys that were going into the space program were going to literally crush his records. Yeah, mm-hmm. They sure. were going to destroy them. So somehow he gets himself into the space program. I think his dad was well-connected. Well, yeah. his dad was in some ways well-connected. He was an engineer of some kind, maybe in the space program or connected to the rocket programs. I think he actually designed military aircraft and built them. Like that, <sighs> I can't remember exactly. but There is a, there is a, well, a jet that's named after him, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Well, the point is, according to the story, he either gets in in the beginning of the cosmonaut program or he gets in late and, you know, manages to go through a crash course, no pun intended, of what it takes to be a cosmonaut and turns out to be the most qualified guy to do the job. Better than, than Yuri Gregarin. Hmm. Gregarin, excuse me, mispronounced his name. According to the theory, what then happens is Vladimir gets into the Vostok space capsule on the 7th of April, 1961. So it was five days before Gagarin, like we were just Uh talking about before. And he shot into space. And, okay, well, if that happened, then why don't we know about Vladimir and who cares about Yuri? Well, that's because... Something reportedly went wrong with his space capsule and Mission Control decided that they had to bring him to Earth early. The thing to understand is that in the Soviet program, Mission Control on Earth controlled everything in terms of navigation. The the cosmonaut wasn't in control of that. He was along for the ride. They probably didn't want the cosmonaut like uh, firing his retros early and landing in the U.S. Probably not. Mm Yeah, um, hell of a defection. Yeah, so his so uh, then his uh, by bringing him down early, then he didn't even complete a single orbit, correct? No, according to this story, he made several orbits, and they brought him home uh, to Earth on the third orbit. But because they had to bring him down early because something went wrong, I guess he was supposed to do five orbits, according to this story. They had to bring him down, and he landed in China. Where he then stayed for a year as an honored guest of the Chinese government. Before then coming home to Mother Russia and kind of just disappearing into the background. I wonder, as an honored guest, what they did. Did they, they like, uh, waterboard him? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, If anybody's ever heard the term honored guest, it's uh, it's not actually being an honored guest. Yeah. (laughs) It's a spy. <laughs> so, okay. You sound confused. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm just confused about why they wouldn't, why his name wouldn't have been the one we all know. Then we're gonna because they covered that. it up. Okay, so we we're gonna talk about in just a minute, actually. Okay, how some of the censorship worked and the way that the Soviet government went about censoring things, and that's gonna kind of help us understand what happened to Vladimir. Okay, I, guess. I know it's a little weird. All right. and, and this whole thing, the story is very, very difficult unless you keep in mind, and I'll just preface it a little bit, that the Soviets operated on a system of only talking about your successes. If something could be possibly embarrassing or it didn't go according to plan, yeah. it didn't happen. Got swept under the rug, you know. There were, there okay. were cosmonauts. There was, there was one cosmonaut who was... Um, 
who was cashiered from the program, and he was airbrushed from the photographs yep. of the cos- of the cosmonauts. They did a lot of air- airbrushing. Yeah, we're going to talk about him. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So but I'll that, just trust you. We're yes, getting there. We're we're going to come back to it. So as anybody that knows space history knows, the twenty first of July, nineteen sixty nine, is when the Americans landed on the moon and beat the the Soviets to that destination. USA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on. C C C P. No. No. <laughs> okay. Well, according to the Lost Cosmos theory, the uh the Soviets didn't go down without a fight and they threw a lot of men at the problem to try and get there first and killed several of them. Yeah, they actually... sounds kind of like the Russians. Yeah, yeah it kind of does. Yeah, life is like, cheap. we can't do this. We'll just throw a bunch of people at it. That's uh, kind of true. The uh, um, And they actually did have a couple of accidents in 67 oh, yeah. and 69. Yes, they did. Well, according to this, in the summer of 69, there was an attempted launch of a manned mission. That, of course, failed. Kills everybody on board. You said the summer of 69. I was just oh. song. trying to distract myself a little bit from the things you're saying. Um, Sorry. <laughs> okay. It, it appears that that, uh, that launch wasn't the only one that the, the USSR was trying to put up. They made one blunder after another and made being a cosmonaut one of their most dangerous occupations, which it kind of evidently was because they had about a 50% success rating with yeah. some of their rockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, a lot of our rockets blew up too. So it was all... they did, they did. But I think that uh, core... we had a lot of unmanned rockets that blew up more often than not. Yeah. And we, you know, we went through extensive safety testing. And I know that the Soviets were doing that, but I don't know how much of that is reflected in our lore that we're going through. Well, so, most of yeah. it was dogs. They used a lot Lots of animals. Dogs. That is they very did. true. Mostly dogs. We used monkeys in uh, in our Gemini program. We did. There's a. I don't know if you've read the right stuff by Tom Wolfe. No, I haven't. Yeah, there's a kind of an amusing scene in there. You know, the, the first launch with the monkey, and the monkey comes down. The monkey's been going through simulator training anyway. But when they opened up the capsule, they thought the monkey was going to be in hysterics. Instead, the monkey's just sitting back, strapped to his chair with his arms crossed across his chest, and just <laughs> looking bored. <laughs> <laughs> like, has no idea what. Yeah. And then, and then one of the. What somebody, did it take so long? Yeah, somebody hands him an apple, and the monkey just, like, without even kind of looking, he just, like, reaches out with one hand and, and takes the apple and starts eating. Looks <laughs> <laughs> kind of bored. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, That's awesome, a pretty funny yeah. book. You should read it if you have it. <laughs> Okay, well, well, well let's go. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry for the aside there. That's No, that was a great aside. It was a cute aside. It yeah. was. Uh, we have a lore here, that, uh, or a story here that says in 1968, the Soyuz 2, uh, which was supposed to be an unmanned test mission, actually was a manned mission, and the occupant of that capsule was Ivan Stochnikov and his dog Kloka. So it was, a, it was a manned and dog mission then. Yeah, 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 totally. And it's believed that uh, they didn't come back and were scrubbed out of history because they were hit by a passing meteorite and thrown off course. Oh. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. tough one. And yet one more attempt to get to the moon before the Americans. We have the launch of Andre Mikoyan. 
and another cosmonaut. Uh, oh. They were supposed to go to the moon, but instead they shot past their destination, which was the moon, and drifted off into space. Okay. And I really, really, really want to know if at least somebody was humming back to the USSR. Uh, yeah, I, I really, I, that's the only thing I can think about. Uh, how do you manage to miss the moon? Christ <laughs> Um, it's really big. Yeah, were they, uh, was uh, was the intent of that mission, do you know, to actually land on the moon or just orbit the moon a few times and come back? I don't know. Mm. I really, I have no idea. Overall, the, if if we follow the, the lore, anywhere between 11 to dozens of people were killed in the attempt to A, get into space, and then B, to get to the moon by the Soviet Union. And, and their government, in their space program. Entirely possible. I mean, because not just cosmonauts getting killed, other people are getting killed in accidents, There's a too. bunch of people who get killed in accidents, oh, yes. Yeah. The reason that, they're, uh, that people really kind of believe this entire theory is, as we talked about earlier, is all of the, the cover-ups and the censorship that went on. Yeah, I mean, they certainly brought a lot of this on themselves. And even though they angrily denied all these stories, mm-hmm. you know, they, they except for the ones that really demonstratedly happened in 67 and 69, yeah, they kind of brought it on themselves. Well, they did. And, it's, yeah. and you know, and people who lived through the Cold War era just expected that from the Soviet Union. Here's a funny story. I, uh, I went over and saw my grandmother today. And I was talking to her, and she asked me what we were, you know, what the show was going to be. And so mm-hmm. I was talking to her about it, and I'm telling her. She goes, "Oh no, I can totally see the the, the Soviets doing that. I, I mean, I I, I'm, yeah. I grew up in that time. I lived through that. But I, that's just what I expect them to do. And I see, and that that's just gave me a totally different perspective of why this is such a popular entrenched thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And because to me, it it seems silly, mm-hmm. but I'm of a different generation. Yeah. I mean, well, we run into that a lot. I mean. It does. Run into that like with uh, when we talked about UVB seventy six. You know, you run into that a lot because it, it's popular to say like, well, the Russians are doing all sorts of stuff. We have no idea because like they are our nemesis. That's right. As Americans, they are. We're just told that's those are the bad guys over there. You know, and whether that's true or not is who knows but that's that's what we're told and it's very easy to just say like well i don't don't know it sounds like something they might do it's nefarious so Mm -hmm. probably probably even though like i don't i don't know that that's necessarily true i mean yeah at least to the extent that we we expect it to have to be true yeah Let's uh, let's go through. I think I've got three different cases here of things that were censored and scrubbed from the books. Okay, like prove, prove, prove things. Proven, uh, proven to be with, here, the, with the fall of the yeah. Soviet yeah. Union uh, between and these documents came out. I think like in '89 or okay. so is when documents started really people started really pr- pulling some of this stuff out and finding out what happened. But the first one we're going to talk about is what is referred to as the Nadellen catastrophe. This happened on the 24th of October 1960. The Soviet Union had an ICBM that was being prepped for a test flight, which is an intercontinental ballistic missile. It's a big missile. It goes from country to country and with carrying a some nuclear, nuclear payload yeah. is the intention. Um, but this thing <laughs> used the worst fuel ever. That's a cool name, though. It does. It's uh, Devil's Venom. Devil's Venom is really nasty stuff. It's made of hydrazine and nitric acid, which Ugh. is obscenely corrosive. Yeah. Really great for causing lift and burn, but unfortunately, the side effect is is that when it burns, it makes an amazingly toxic gas. 
that just instant killer. I mean, it's, there's no getting around. You don't hang around this stuff when it's burning. I nah. guess that seems fairly counterintuitive. Like, okay, we're going to bomb these people over here. We're going to ruin their lives. And also send out a cloud of poison gas. That's good. But at the same time, we're going to kill ourselves <laughs> with, with the poison, poison gas. gas. Uh, all you got to do is hold your breath. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably true they were all wearing gas masks. You like really don't stand next anyways, to the launching so. rocket. You're I'm probably sure they were probably in buildings nearby or supposed to be in buildings. Supposed to be. Yeah. Supposed to be is exactly right, because here's what happens. There is a uh, a guy by the name of Mitrofan Nadellen. He's the one who was the whole thing was named after. And he wanted this rocket to launch before the 7th of November of that year, which was the anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution. Why it was so important to him, I don't know. But problem is, is that because he pushed the schedule, a bunch of safety testing didn't get done. It's always the oh. safety testing, isn't it? It is. So it's this, never yeah. like the rocket just didn't get painted. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> always the safety testing. We forgot to put the numbers on it. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's always the big major safety mm-hmm. test. And that was a problem is that they were doing a test on something else. They hadn't done all their tests. And the igniter in um, the second stage in the second stage goes off, which then lights the first stage yeah. of the rocket while That's it's all timing. sitting on the ground. No, you don't really want that. That's not what you like in a rocket. No. And mm. if you don't know how rocket stages work, it's they're basically stacked on top of each other. They're little jet engines that when one burns out the next kicks on both of them kicking on at the same time not the intended plan no no, no. a very no, no. bad thing no i mean you see this this the second stage of course is sitting on top of the, the first stage yes. and so when it lights off uh, the first stage is not supposed to be there anymore no it's <laughs> <laughs> and it's sitting there it's all full of fuel mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah so it's a big explosion it was a massive explosion depending on the sources that you read anywhere from a specific number of 71 to a round number of over 200 people were killed. And sadly, the people that were right next to the rocket died right away because of the explosion. Well, maybe not sadly, maybe... Luckily, luckily. well, lucky for them in the way that they died. They they were right there, they were incinerated instantly. The poor guys who were farther distance away when the rocket went off and ran evidently couldn't get out of the complex that it was in. The the fences were shut, and they died because of the gas, which is a terrible way to go. Uh-huh. But this whole thing yeah. was swept under the rug, and officially, according to the records, Nazellan died in a plane crash. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, I uh... mean, people tried to pick up this story, and they talked about the catastrophe several times over decades, but it wasn't until the, all of the records came out after the fall of the Union that we found out what really happened. That's rough. Yeah. We, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. So that's why we don't necessarily take them at their word for a lot of stuff. <laughs> yep. Know? We have another one, and this is actually a space program-specific story. This is of a cosmonaut by the name of Valentin Bondarenko. Valentin was selected to be in the cosmonaut program in, in 1961. He'd never make it into space, though, because on the 23rd of March, 1961, he was taking part uh, in an endurance test. It was a high-altitude uh, thing, so they had him in a, a pressure chamber, and he was going to be in there, I think, for a total of 15 days. The atmosphere was 50% plus oxygen. 
He's doing his daily work. He's got monitors on him, you know, little sticky things. He finishes his job for the day. He takes off the monitors, but they leave that goo. So he uses a cotton swab and alcohol to wipe the goo off. But he's not very careful of what he's doing. Instead of throwing that cotton swab in the trash, it hits a hot plate that he was using to make tea. And Seems like a bad idea to have a hot plate inside a 50% oxygen I, I do not disagree with yeah. you on this. The cotton swab goes up in flames. The Because there's so much oxygen in that environment, basically everything burns. It takes half an hour to get the chamber open. By the time they get it open, he's got third-degree burns over almost his entire body. The only part of him that wasn't burned was his feet, and that's because he's wearing boots. Um, He dies 16 hours later. I'm kind of amazed that he he wasn't already asphyxiated by the time he got him out. Yeah, that is. I was amazed that he lived as long as he did. I don't don't know how that happened. But that failure was scrubbed from the books. And as you talked about before, airbrushing of photos, Joe, he was airbrushed out. There are photos, and you can actually see the before and after, where he's with six or seven other guys, you know, arms around him. And then the next version, it's a blank wall, and his arm is like, they do good jobs of airbrushing these photos. But he's gone. Completely gone. Yeah, that's... uh... Yeah, uh, um, the one yeah. I think the one that you were talking about, the other one that was airbrushed out, is our our next guy, which is Grigory Nyalyubov, I believe. Uh, close uh, enough. Yeah, he and depending on the version, he and possibly another cosmonaut candidate got drunk and got into a fight with some soldiers and got kicked out of the program. Yeah. But and were airbrushed. Were were airbrushed out because they were failures and their the shame couldn't be on the space program. The shame of Mother Russia. Yes. Yeah. And here's something else that I need everybody to understand is that the space program in the United States, NASA, is it's not a military organization. Civilian organization, yeah. In the Soviet Union, the entire thing was run by the military. So therefore, it had an extra layer of secrecy lumped on top of it from the start before they did anything else. Mm. So well, even yeah, and even we didn't. Uh, we were fairly open about our space program, but we didn't tell them about every every you know improvement we made in our gear or our rockets. No, or but like we that. also we... didn't you know airbrush people out of photos. Oh no, hell no. We didn't censor it to that level. As far as you know. As far yeah. as you're right. As far as I know, I I could be wrong. Area fifty one, dude. So that's 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 the proof or that's the evidence of why people believe this story so much. But let's now and I know some people like when I do this and some people hate when I do this, but we're going to start over. Oh, we're no. going to start again at the beginning of the chronology that I gave and talk about some of that. First one we're going to talk about is the three individual launches 1957, 58 and 59 that supposedly killed three individuals. Uh, Again, that was something that came from a quote-unquote high-ranking Czech military officer. I discount that right off the bat. There's no reliable source. That's the the source every time. So I discount that. Uh, Yeah, this, uh, well, I'll talk more about this later. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, there's a bunch of things. There's been some making up of facts in this case. (laughs) Well, and there's, there's some blurring of facts and adding of them to different parts of the story, which is actually the next one, because 
I told you that in 1959, there was three cosmonauts who were supposedly have killed Peter Dolgov, Ivan Kocher, Kocher, Alexei Grachov, those three. Well, they actually did die. They weren't cosmonauts, though, right? Not cosmonauts. They were involved in, in a capacity in the space program. They were high-altitude jumpers. They, ju- they parachuted from really high up, and they were testing suits. Yeah. Well, Peter specifically, he died when he jumped out of a... Uh, the balloon or whatever it was. I think they were balloons. They were using. I think it was like balloons and they had a gondola. And a gondola. Well, when he jumped out, his he hit the gondola and it cracked his his visor and he depressurized. Yeah. And the other two people who were also high altitude uh, jumpers, they just disappear. So it's presumed that they also had some kind of accident in their high altitude jumps, but they are then moved over into the story because these guys, they didn't disappear in 1959. It was like a year or two later. Mm. So the, the time frame is wrong. Mm-hmm. So that I, I, but I believe that is where they actually came from. And I will tell you uh, the fourth person that we talked about in that 59 story, uh, yeah. Maria, no idea who Maria is. I don't know where Maria came from. Uh, Maria is probably a fictional character. There's no source ever. Um, let's move now to 1960 yeah. with Robert Heinlein. Yeah. Well, it turns out that what those uh, what those military men told him of they sent a man into space that day might have actually been sort of true. If you know what the Soviets were doing. Yeah, they were sending up mannequins, right? They they were. They had a a dummy who was very lifelike. I've seen the pictures of him, and it's amazing the lengths they went to to make it look real. And this dummy's name was Ivan Ivanovich. And... Ivan's the one that they stuck in these chambers and one of the, you know, because they would send him up with animals, they would pressurize the suit, they'd have animals in the suit to see if the pressure held, they'd have tape recorders playing in the suit so that the microphone in the suit was broadcasting the whole time to see if the equipment worked when it went up and came back. Like, this is a huge test. One of the things that they had to test, literally the ejector seat. Yeah, because the way that the Soviet program worked is the capsule comes down, a parachute expands and slows it down, and then our friendly cosmonaut gets out of it and parachutes down on their own. Yeah, because the capsule was moving so fast. and uh, Yeah, that they wouldn't survive the impact. Yeah. So... That may be what they were testing that these guys saw that they then told Heinlein. Mm. Very likely that that's what was going Ivan on. Ivan Ivanovich. Ivan Ivanovich. He's he's creepy looking. Is Go to the like wiki. Smith's, it's like John Johnson, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, is it Ivan or Yvonne? Ivan. However you want to say it, I'm saying okay. Ivan. I'm Googling, okay. I'm Googling it right now. All okay. Right. The next stop in our timeline. Oh, Devin's looking at the mannequin pictures. He's creepy. Oh, he's so creepy. <laughs> oh, he's kind of creepy. <laughs> the next stop on our timeline dealt with Vladimir uh, and his supposed f- space flight. Vladimir Ilyushin? Yes. If you look at the flight of Yuri Gagarin, you're going to notice something very significant, and that is the number of times that he went around the Earth. Just once. 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 Yeah. 
Like according, a smart person. Yeah. According to the lore... Vlad went three times. And was supposed to go five. Yeah. Which is a little strange. Well, well... Do you want to know what else, though? It's a fairly complicated thing to launch a man into space. Mm-hmm. And launching two within five days of one another? Not easy. No. 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 Uh, I was just going to say, like, I guess if you wanted to take that approach, you could say, well, okay, so then the original plan was to have um, Yuri go around five times, but since it failed so catastrophically before, they knew they could do it once, so they sent him up and did it once and brought him back and everything was fine. Right? I mean, that's that is that is a, a train of thought that you can take. Yes. But my problem with Vladimir is that it always says that he crashed to Earth in China in his capsule. Oh, OK. No, I didn't. Hear There's that no yeah, way no. that he could have survived that impact. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Well, yeah. But, and the uh, other thing. It, it, but those people can jumble things up. Maybe he crashed in China and he, he successfully ejected and was captured. Well, but they say that there was something wrong with him and that he was unconscious. Oh, That's really? why they they had to man they brought it home early is that he was having some ill effects. Maybe he crashed in the ocean. Well, but no, according to this he crashed into China. Right. China owns an ocean. Well they do. You're right. <laughs> they, they do. do. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> the the official story from the Soviet government is that Vladimir was involved in a very severe car accident. And hurt his leg quite severely to the tune of being in the hospital for a year. And then From a they, leg injury? I'm assuming that a car accident, you know, cars oh, didn't have breakaway additional. zones. Yeah, okay, got he it. probably crushed both of his legs. Mm, could be. And then they, they had him in the hospital for a year. And then they sent him to China for rehab. Which makes lots of sense. It, it it doesn't really. No. But not. what also doesn't make sense is that if he really did crash land in China and he was in his capsule, the the Chinese, from a medical perspective, were not all that advanced at that time, mm-hmm. and there is no way that they could have treated a man who basically had every bone broken his body from crashing into the earth. What do you mean they weren't advanced? People pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get ancient Chinese secret healing all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. I don't understand what you mean. This. No. <laughs> I, I can tell you that actually um, we it's pretty clear where the Vladimir story came from. Was it Vladimir? Was yeah. he looking for... No, no, oh. it wasn't him. Oh, okay. It actually was uh, a British communist. There is a paper that was in Britain called The Daily Worker, and evidently what happened is these guys heard that there was going to be a launch, and... Vladimir was known to be in the program, according to this, and they guessed of A, the date, and B, who was going to be in the rocket. And so on the 11th of April, they put out a paper that said that five days prior, Vladimir had gone up and was the first man in space. And then on the 12th, they found out what really happened, and they put out another paper on the 12th that said it was Gagarin who was the first man in space. But because they put that paper out, it's been latched onto and used as kind of fodder ever since. All right, we're going to move forward. Uh, Now we're going to talk about the, uh, the Italian brothers. Yeah. So, first off, here's one problem with their recordings. Nobody else recorded what they recorded. None of the other listening locations. 
the Americans were listening, the Brits were listening. The French were listening. The, place, the French, the Brits. You know, Somebody I mean, yeah. else should have picked up what they had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay, well, well, maybe they got lucky. But they, they have so many things that I just say that that is too many things for them to have actually been lucky to capture. Well, and yeah. nobody else had. And there are things like, you know, the heartbeat. You know, the heartbeat was uh, the monitors that they put on astronauts to, to monitor their, their life signs. They're, Don't they're, go through the audio channels. Exactly. It's not like they tape a stethoscope to them and then put a microphone up to the stethoscope. <laughs> I don't know. It is Russia. Audio. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that might be the way they did it. Did you ever hear that story about the, the early space program? Mm-mm. It's like the uh, the Americans uh, realized that... Uh, pens... Oh, we were talking about the pen. Oh, you, know, you heard yeah. the pen story? I just read that the other you day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the Americans realized that pens wouldn't work in zero gravity. And so they spent like uh, like millions of dollars to develop this special pen that would work in zero G's. And the Russians used pencil. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> much smarter. Well, no, I, I, it actually turns out it's not that much smarter because the it reason... dust. Yeah, that graphite dust actually like totally screws all of the air filtering systems. So you have to use a you, wax pencil. You like really can't uh-huh. use a graphite pencil, which is what the Soviets were using anyway. But yeah, no, I, I did just read that and it's... Yeah, interesting. cute story. Yeah. yeah. Cute. <laughs> oh, but, oh, where but were yeah, we? Yeah, so but you yeah. don't know. It could so have the, been a stethoscope. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> but, but most likely it was sent back like telemetry, you know, so, yeah, so it was converted to... And an, any uh, of this yeah. audio of breathing... Yeah. It was probably a dog. Exactly. They sent because a lot they of dogs sent, they, they killed a lot of dogs yeah, in sad. space. Some of them came back, but most of them didn't. Yeah. Actually, I don't think any of them came back, but maybe. Yeah. No, they all came back. Yeah. Okay. And they all are living on that farm that all of the dogs <laughs> live yeah, on. Exactly. You're right, Devin. Forever and yeah, ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I believe I actually do, do think that some of the dogs came back. I mean, there was that famous one, Laika. Was it Laika or Laika? Laika. Laika, yeah. Yeah, Laika did come back. You're right. The other thing that people have pointed out about their recordings is the language that is used and that it's wrong. Is that like the, the woman who is, who's, who's in peril and dying? And the grammar is wrong. The way that things are phrased don't match up. Because remember we said that the space program was run by the Soviet military. They have a very specific way that you announce things. There's an sure. order to it. These guys are all trained in that system, and yet none of these recordings match that. They're yeah. people in in peril, like close to... Maybe they didn't. there was a lap, lapse in discipline there. Yeah. Maybe. Actually, I understand her Russian was not all that good either. No, the yeah. Russian was really poor, yeah. and it's actually believed that they probably faked it. The woman, the transmission of the woman that you were talking about that we played some of, uh, the grammar is really bad, and evidently these brothers, the Italian brothers, their sister was learning Russian, according to their story, to help them translate. But about that time, she would have had a good enough grasp to speak some of the language, but not a good enough grasp to speak it properly. I don't know what you uh, want. They didn't have Google Translate. So. I know. Seriously, dude. <laughs> I'm uh, saying that it's sad. probably uh, a they, hoax. There might have been some hoax right there. They probably yeah. made this stuff up. Well, the thing about it is, too, is the brothers were clever. They were smart, if, you know, but uh, obviously... They either made some stuff up or were just completely bamboozled by somebody else, who, by the way, knew what frequencies they were listening on. So, like the Could one, have been somebody local. Yeah, the one where they uh, they picked up the SOS signal, and then they, by by noting that it had no it, it had no 
Doppler effect? The, yeah, no Doppler effect. Then they, they surmised that it wasn't whizzing by overhead in low Earth orbit, but, was, but instead was heading directly away from the Earth. Now, there's a problem with that. If it's heading away from the Earth, by the, if it's achieved escape velocities, it's still moving fast. So you're still going to get a Doppler effect, even if it's moving straight from Earth. But also the Soviets didn't have Unless it was moving away in a geosynchronous position. I mean, yeah, that's impossible. Yeah, the, uh, yeah so I mean, it, uh, it's, uh, and the Soviets didn't have the ability to... It's, they, they could achieve escape velocity with a, a very lightweight object, but not with... Like not a, with any kind of capsule. Not with a capsule. No, they didn't have that ability until 1969 is when that technology came around. Yeah, um, and so some of the other some of the other ones, like uh, somebody went out of control and, and just flew out of orbit. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen. Uh, the, the What you need to... Rem- and I think that, Joe, I think this is where you're heading, is that their momentum away from the Earth is generated by the rocket that they're riding... And then once that rocket lets go, they're in orbit and slowly drifting back to the planet. They don't have enough velocity to continue to shoot away. They mm-hmm. don't have that power at that time. Yeah. They don't have the capability to do it. No, they don't. They don't. I mean, and, and the idea of like, you know, well, uh, you know, we, there was another thing in here about somebody lost, they, some, they lost control and flew out of orbit and bounced know, off the atmosphere. Bat, the, the other one, you bounce off the atmosphere and into space. Well, it is possible to bounce off the atmosphere, but unless the atmosphere just gives you a massive boost, you're not going to fly up into space. You're just going to go into a different orbit <laughs> and eventually probably get it, go back into the atmosphere and either, either burn up or, you know, maybe just or safely to, land somewhere to ground. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there is a lot of problems with their stuff. Now there is, <laughs> to add one feather to their cap, there is a, um, a. I'm using air quotes here. Senior engineer who is part of who said he was part of the Soviet space program, and in 2001 he confirmed that the brothers' recordings were real. All of them? I don't know which ones. It doesn't. It, it never says which ones specifically, but says that they actually caught stuff that was right. Uh, who was this guy? He was a senior engineer. Ah, one of those guys. Huh? One of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Um, and then let's just talk about these uh, the moon landing attempts that were supposed to have happened. Well, there was a rocket test that did explode on a launch pad that does line up with the supposed nineteen summer of nineteen sixty nine loss of somebody in a capsule. Okay, that that actually is, except it was an unmanned capsule. The other one that I talked about, which is uh, Ivan Istanovich and his dog Kloka, that seems really, really good until you look at the fact that the rocket could take a small payload with it, but nothing big enough to hold the weight of a man and a dog and a life support system. Yeah, they maybe could have put a small dog in there. Maybe, but there was no way that they could have done it. And, oh, wait, it turns out the whole thing was a fraud. Yeah. There was an artist. I can't remember what kind of art exhibit she called it, but her name is Joan Fontcuberta. And she made this art exhibit and she faked all kinds of documentation that from the outside looks believable. So, of course, the press ran with it. Of course. Until you actually started reading it and you knew what you were talking about. And then you discovered that it was utter and complete garbage. Mm. It was was full of holes. It was wrong. And what year was that uh, she did her thing? 1969. 
Yeah, and there was actually some falsification going on before then, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what she... Well, this one of the guy and his dog going to the space and, and missing, that that's totally, totally bogus. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I would have felt bad for the dog. <laughs> and finally, the last... Yeah, I was going to say, the last thing I want to talk about is the actual theories. Yeah. Because we have gone through all of the history. We should finally talk about the theories... Which are very easy. It's either yes or no. It's just kind of it's, a binary thing here. Totally. Yeah. It's a binary theory section. Okay. So our theories are yes, it's real. And as we've talked about, there's was some weird stuff with the Soviet space program and how they scrub people out of the history books. Mm-hmm. And it's entirely yeah. possible that there are people who we don't know about because whoever was supposed to remove them did such a good job that they scrub them out of everything and we just don't know. And they could be as simple as, you know, having died in a simple training accident. Sure. But uh, we won't know. Or got drunk and fought someone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you can see where there'd be, I mean, because rockets were kind of unreliable in those days, and frankly, they still are kind of sometimes. I mean, they're more reliable than they used to be, but... But they still go wonky. Yeah, so you you think they want to keep the whole thing secret. Well, I think in the... Cover up their mistakes. Late 50s, early 60s. 60s, they had a 50% success rate. Well, something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that wasn't exactly a job that I would want. Well, flip a coin. You're going to live or you're going to die. Yeah. But, no, I don't want to do that every day. Mm-hmm. Well, think about, I mean, when you think about the, uh, like, Apollo 11, the first moon mission. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can die on the launch, or you can, or you can, you know, wind up some mishap happens, like with Apollo 13, and you, and you all, like, suffocate and die from the cold on the way to the moon. Uh, number three, then you got to land on the moon. You got to get an orbit around the moon and land on the moon successfully without crashing. Yep. And then. And I played that game, Moonlander. It's yeah. harder than you <laughs> yeah, think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then when you get back into your, your Moonlander to take off, you better pray. You, you, you don't know for, for a, a certainty that that rocket's going to fire off and get you off the surface of the moon and back to your craft. And then you got to get that craft back to Earth. You got to get that craft to the capsule that's orbiting above and, and made up with that and then get it back to Earth. I mean, so those guys, I mean, the, the whole way along. You know, that's just amazing that through most of those missions, nothing really went wrong. For the most part. And I'm yeah. going to say a thing that you see on the internet a lot, but it's it's also amazing that, like, I carry a computer that's smarter than that in my pocket every day. Uh-huh. Right? Like, my phone, your phones, uh-huh. where they're all smarter than any of the computers that did all of that stuff for the astronauts. I think yeah. it's mostly the astronauts that did that stuff, and it's just I've actually yeah. talked to a guy Incredible. who worked at NASA in the 60s, and it was the old card-based system. Yep. You know, you had the punch cards, that, and that's how the computer worked. But I don't know how they did this, but he told this great story of it didn't matter what sequence you put them into the computer in, because, you know, you put a bunch of cards in at once, because somehow they had set it up because people had accidents and they would drop all of their stuff on the ground and they, you know the whole thing would be mixed up that didn't matter well, you put it in and somehow it self-sequenced it which was amazing to awesome. me huh. I, uh-huh. I, he tried to explain it and he was talking to somebody else and, I was and you're just, like you're a NASA scientist I literally have no idea what yeah, you're I was, I was, yeah. over, I was you know I was eavesdropping and yeah. I was like I don't I'm not even I can't go yeah. there I don't know uh-huh. what's going on yeah. pretty, but, pretty clever yeah, yeah. it was yeah. absolutely in, in, amazingly interesting yeah I mean it is it's incredible to think about the amount of sophistication that 
the oh no. involved. No, I yeah, and yeah. The chance. That's why I don't like thinking about it. Yeah, I know. It well, here's a... the here's the thing though is that the maybe this is true side of the theories is besides the censorship, the Soviet Union did some weird stuff that was outright lies that was kind of I didn't understand why they did it except for they decide somebody decided they had to. Here's what I'm talking about, which is they sort of covered up uh, the whole ejection thing well yeah, yeah because you know i mean there's there's a conspiracy theory out there that we're not getting into which is that gagarin never actually went into space same, like we're ignoring that same with the we never went to the moon yes we're ignoring that but there is a group that uh in english the name is the international air sports federation and they would record records for flights well, their guidelines to be a successful space flight was that the person had to be in their craft when it left the Earth, went into space, and be in it when it landed on Earth because they're dealing with airplanes. And if a guy bails out of an airplane, that means something went wrong with it. Whereas the rocket program worked, the space program worked differently. But the point is, the Soviets just said, oh, yeah, no, he totally landed. He totally landed in his capsule. So it, it totally counts. And they got the record. It wasn't until um, six months later when the next guy went up, whose name that I have suddenly forgot uh, went he up. He was Grimon um, Titov. Titov, yes. Raymond Titov. Titov. Yes. Well, when Titov went up, he made no bones about the fact that he had jumped. Yeah. He was He was just, oh, no, I totally jumped out of that thing, man. There's no way. Yeah. So th- that's a weird thing. And they did it They did it one or two times with that, the AIF, to get records. And it was really, for longest space ta- travel, I think is what, what was his name again? Titov. Titov. Yeah. Okay. He, he went around 13, 16 times, I yeah. think. Yeah. So he got the record of longest man in space. And they did the same thing with him, except he was like, no, it's a total lie, but whatever. I don't care. You're paying me. Uh, the, uh, the, this, is, this is my favorite part of the it's true, though, is that one of the sources that you will be given to prove that this whole thing is real is our good friend Fidel Castro. Yeah, the most reliable of sources. Yes, because in 1980, there's a a gentleman by the name of Arnaldo Mendez. He was the first Cuban to go into space. He went into space aboard the Soyuz 38. That year, Castro gives a speech where he's talking about the joys of, you know, their friend, uh, the Soviet Union, and the fact that he had gone to Gagarin's office, which was still maintained, and then he had also been taken to another room that was called the Hall of Martyrs for all of the people who died in the space program trying to get into space. Yeah. Except that I did a little digging, and I found that speech, and I pulled it up, and Castro says none of that. Yeah. So I'm I'm sorry, but that was actually shoehorned in. But you will what? see that reference. When does that ever happen? <laughs> Never. Okay. So we're going to move on to the other half of Nothing our no. binary theory, which is no. No. Okay. Didn't really happen. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I fall on that side of the theories. I think everybody's listened to us for the last hour or whatever it is knows that that's where I'm at. Here's my reason for it. The Soviet Union announced Gagarin's flight and imminent landing on Earth 30 minutes before he touched down. You mean imminent landing? 
What did I say? Eminent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, imminent, eminent, potato, okay. potato. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know words, so come on, guys. I'm here uh, for my good looks. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You've been skating my by My shiny bald head. Those aren't going to hold up forever. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, they announce his flight 30 minutes before he's going to land. Okay, uh, now if they'd done all these other attempts where they had gotten people into space and, and then, then it screwed in. up, <laughs> yeah. why did they choose this particular flight to announce before it had successfully come down? Well, exactly. I mean, because uh, they had plenty of successes, Gagarin and, and afterwards. And yeah, so, and but so the guys like, who died before and these, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. what and, up? Well, yeah, what's and, up with that guy? Yeah, it doesn't make those, sense. Yeah, in the case of in the case of Gagarin, probably what happened with the whole newspaper story in the Daily Worker is what they did is the Soviets and they had the pattern from the beginning of Vostok, and Gagarin was Vostok one. Yes, they would leak official word of maybe a week or so, a week or two ahead of the actual launch. They would leak something, and so probably what they published was the leak, the, the sort of leaked announcement of Gagarin's launching. And then, of course, the official announcement was after the launch. Then they would officially announce it. They repeated that pattern again uh, several months later when they launched Kermont Titov into, into, into orbit. Uh, it was July 29, 1961. A source in Moscow reported the next manned flight would be, ta- would be taking place in a couple of weeks, within a couple of weeks, and that they, they would, there would be a much longer flight. And then a week later, Titov was launched into space. They officially announced it. He orbited the Earth 16 times and then came down. And so that was the pattern all the way throughout the, their entire program. And obviously, they, they, they waited to announce it until after the launch yes. because rockets do blow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and so that's yeah. why they waited to announce it. So if you want to believe in this whole thing, what you have to believe is that there was a successful public program which was announced ahead of time, and, and in parallel with it, at roughly the same time, there was a big fail program, which was secret, <laughs> where everybody died. Yeah, yeah that's what you It's have almost to as if they had like three launches at a time planned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if one blew up, they just launched the next, and then if that blew up, they'd launch the next. Yeah. So they had, you know, they had a one in three chance of getting yeah. a successful thing I to guess, report. So, uh, to be honest, that like brings me a little comfort because you know my whole big thing. With the, my problem with thinking about people lost in space, which is why I've been so quiet this episode, <laughs> is um, is because I, I always think like, well, there's nothing we could do for them. Like that thought That's terrifies it. me. But hey, maybe the Russians actually just have like 20 rockets at any given time where they're like, ah, that one blew up. Great. Let's do this one. Next, <laughs> next, next. Yeah. So maybe like maybe this fear is totally unfounded. Maybe they're always ready to just like throw somebody into space real quick. Yeah. Wow. That's I, comforting I, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but it is. You're so weird I sometimes, know, but I'll run with it. It's, I don't know. I'll take it. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't think so, but anyway. <laughs> I, no, I agree. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the final nail in the coffin of this thing. Um, okay, so uh, in July 1962, a guy named Frank Edwards published an article in Fate magazine called Those Lost Soviet Astronauts. And um, prior to this, in the Vostok program, the Soviets actually had a woman, put a woman in space. Yes, they had. They, had. they had had a feeling. One of the assertions he made in the article, and he made a lot of assertions in the article, was that she was the first, not the first woman in space. She was only the first woman who survived. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He talked a lot. Of, and so I think that's where Maria, what's her name, that, we, that you said you'd never found any yeah. other reference to anywhere. Uh, I think that's probably where she came from. It's a Frank Edwards article. 
Uh, you wrote a lot of stuff about, you know, I haven't actually seen this article. I wasn't able to find it. I read a long takedown of it somewhere else on the internet by a, a guy that was writing about it back in the, in the mid-70s. Uh, he, he said that uh, Edwards misspelled every Russian name. He quoted non-existent sources. <laughs> <laughs> he jumbled up the names of the cosmonauts and the launch dates. Uh, he also talked a lot about... Uh, a September 1960 event uh, that involved a Russian test pilot named Pyotr Dolgov, who yep. was, quote, tracked for 20 minutes by stations in Turkey, Japan, Sweden, England, and Italy, unquote. But none of those stations actually had actually ever tracked them, like we talked about earlier. The brother, the Italian brothers, you know, didn't. Yeah. You know, they tracked these things, and nobody else reported actually hearing anything about them from any of these spacecraft. The head of the, Je- the Jodrell Bank listening station in Britain, the head of, the, of that in 1963, wrote that there's no reason to believe that there have been any unsuccessful manned space attempts by the USSR. And, of course, that was, that was prior to 1967, but, but still, they had a good record up until 1963, at least. Anyway, uh, a lot of this stuff made its way into the mainstream media. Uh, from this the, particular guy? From this, this particular article. The article itself actually attracted a lot of attention. And uh, see, the Washington Evening Star in, in 1962 and May 63, the New York Journal American. A lot of these, a lot of these are uh, papers that don't seem to exist anymore. Baltimore Sun and, and, and some others. Um, and it's another reason not to believe everything you read in the papers. But Frank Edwards, do you recognize that name? Yeah, I I should, and I don't remember yeah. why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's the guy that created the Anjakuni Lake mystery. <laughs> he is the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He took the he took the he took a, a 1930s article by Emmett Kelleher. Decades later, he spun it into a big elaborate story. In the original article, um, it's like a half dozen tents or something. About five to six Indian tents, and the camp was deserted. Mm-hmm. And it was all mysterious and kind of creepy. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, a, but and that yeah. was it though. It's just a little campground, a little camp campsite, yeah. basically. So and, he did and something then to do. Frank, yeah, Frank Edwards in the '60s published a book called *Stranger Than Fiction*, I think it was called. Yeah. And he pumped it way up, and now the, the village, the Indian village in Anchorage Lake, was dozens of wooden huts. Yeah, we and, did an episode on it. Yeah, we did do an episode. Yeah, so on he it. did some. He yeah. evidently, from what Joe found, I didn't yeah. find this source, but yeah, yeah. Joe found that he is also maybe responsible for part of this story too. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably 90% Frank Edwards created this whole thing out of whole cloth, just like he wow. did Andrew Cooney Lake. Well, and Crazy. you bring up a good point is that if, if others had heard this stuff that was going on, if it was the Russian failures, mm-hmm. the, the Americans most, you know, us as the Americans, we had a big reason to let the world know that the Soviets were screwing up. Why would we conceal it if we had heard it? Absolutely. And that's yeah. one of the things that gets pointed out is, well, it, you know, it's the Cold War. We wanted to put as much egg on their face as we could. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could argue that uh, uh, maybe it was some sort of a CIA black op and that they, they actually put out these BS rumors and everything to try to make the oh, Soviets look bad. Make them look bad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's possible. Maybe, it's not the worst idea. Or yeah. maybe Frank Edwards was a CIA agent. To, you know, or, or maybe, <laughs> maybe they paid him some money to He to was a good spin doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, but I think, again, that whenever... 
whenever you're looking into an unsolved mystery and you hear the name Frank Edwards, just wrong. <laughs> yeah, you, you've just got stop. your answer. Yeah, you got your answer. You know your answer. answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you guys have any? I'm out of stuff here, and, and uh, I know yeah. we've gone over this pretty extensively. You have anything else? Uh, no, that's it. Just uh, you know, uh, if you haven't listened to our Andrew Cooney Lake episode, I'm sorry I spoiled it for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Way to go, Joe, pitching your own Jeez. story. Uh, <laughs> well, you can find this episode as well as the Andrew Cooney Lake episode, as well as all of our episodes and some of the research for every story on our website. The website is going to be Thinking Sideways Podcast.com. You can download and stream from there. I know a lot of people get their episodes from different streaming apps, and we're on just about all of them. Mm-hmm. Or people will still, and a lot of people still get it from iTunes. Yep. If you're on iTunes, do leave a comment and a rating. We prefer the positive, but go ahead and leave a comment and a rating. If you have something negative to say, email us. Yeah. So better. we can talk about it? Because, yeah, usually they're, they're very episode-specific complaints, yeah. and I think that we yeah. can probably talk mm-hmm. through some of that. Or, but... like, the sound quality though, of the old episodes is really bad. We know oh, yeah, yeah, I hate we already that, know that. Part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. We apologize. Um, <laughs> we are, of course, on social media. So we are on the Twitter. We are thinking sideways are on, on the, Twitter. Are we on the That's Facebook Twitter. also? We're on the Facebook, the Fastbook. We are, have a, a Fastbook page and a Fastbook group, mm-hmm. and we have lots of people who talk to us on that thing. So you can totally find us there. Uh, what is what is Joe's find us, friend find us, us, like us? Yeah, yeah. 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 Lot. yeah. Lots. Lots. Lots and lots yeah. and lots. Oh, yeah. I always forget. We have a a subreddit, which, what is it, Dylan? It's just thinking sideways. Is it just thinking thinking sideways? sideways, Okay. And it's it's pretty dead right now. It's quiet. So if you're a Reddit user, if you're one of those, like, hundreds of people who have managed to find us through, like, the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit or anything like that, just join that one, too. It's It could be fun. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to do some, people are trying. Every avenue. We're trying. You know, why not? The uh, the main form of direct communication with us, of course, would be email. <laughs> That's the the the, the main way. Sword of our lives. Yes, the the thing that busy. we get the most of. <laughs> you are more than welcome to send us an email at thinking sideways podcast at gmail.com episode suggestions conversations uh, questions or concerns or uh, corrections send it all to us we'll answer it all might take us day or three. Four, five, yeah. but we will answer. We get a you. lot of them. I'm sorry, you guys. We, we do our best. There's just three of us, them. and yeah. we have jobs. We're gonna get yeah. an intern one of these days. Someday. Your cats don't count, Joe. No. Yeah. Uh, oh, and last but not least, Patreon. Yeah. We are on Patreon, so you can find us at Patreon.com/slash/ThinkingSideways. So if you would like to uh, financially contribute to the show, you're more than welcome to. It's absolutely not a requirement. Totally a voluntary yep, thing. Absolutely. But we do appreciate that. Helps us out a lot. Yeah. yeah. If you pledge a million bucks an episode, of course, you can tell you us. You own us. Yeah, you own us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to be owned for that much. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. I'm cheap. Easily. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I, okay. Well, that's all I've got. So we will talk to everybody next week. Yep. So long, folks. Hey, did you guys know that when astronauts who have like been on the space station for a really long time, when they come back, they often forget that gravity exists? <laughs> I do. Really? Because, yeah, you know, when you're in, in the space station, you can just, like, let something go, and it just sits there for a minute. Apparently, like, 
they do that, and like once they're back on Earth, <laughs> several times, yeah, break things. they forget well, that like see. that apple's not going to float next to them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fun fact of the day. I love it. Bye, everybody. Bye.